This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. Why in the past decade has BRL Equine become the premier equine supplement company in the industry? Because we spend millions in research and development before we ever put out a product. Because we use only FDA supervised facilities to manufacture for us. Because what we say is in them is in them. Because they work. Because if you're not happy, I'll give you your money back. And because top trainers and veterinarians in thoroughbred racing, standard bread racing, three-day eventing, and barrel racing all trust in BRL Equine. Shouldn't you? To find out more how Flexify HA, Unlock, Bleeder Shield, and EPO Equine can help you, contact me, Joseph Volante, 215-501-6880. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Going in Circles Live. It's uh, post-derby prep season. We have uh, completed all the derby preps for the year, and uh, we're going to probably get a solid field here in a couple days. There's still a couple of horses on the fence, and uh, not sure. My, my, My man, Rombauer, I really... Don't understand why they wouldn't run in the Derby. Um, that horse has got a shot. I mean, this is such a wide open race, and the horse seems like he, he's he's doing well. He's gotten he's gotten a little bit better every race of his career, just about. And there's a ton of pace. Please, Rombauer, run! You should run. Anyways. Um, the focus, of course, at this time of the year is always on the Derby, but this weekend we have uh, something that doesn't happen very much in this sport anymore, and it's something that we complain about all the time, and as such, we're going to uh, do everything we can to promote it, and that's a Clash of Titans, where you got the number one and the number two horses, uh, not only in a division, in in uh I mean, arguably the number one and number two horses in a, in the sport in North America right now with Monomoy Girl and Swiss Skydiver facing off in the Apple Blossom at Oakland uh, on Saturday. It's uh, The race has been drawn. It's a six-horse field, um, which uh, kudos to uh, Pat Pope and company for finding four other horses to line up against, the, against those two fillies. And, I mean, it is a million-dollar grade one race, so running third is uh is certainly no disgrace and well probably i think it's worth worth about a hundred hundred thousand dollars which is not uh insignificant and you never know uh you never know um scratch uh speed duel <laughs> you know i mean the arkansas derby is perfect proof of that uh you, you just never know so uh it, it's it's nice to see uh Six in there, I mean, that's not a huge field, but, uh, I mean, you go back through history, and these type of races usually don't have big fields. When the two best uh, in a division face off, there's usually not a a lot of other horses that want to be left in their wake, but uh, they did get six, and it should be be quite a race. I think uh, 
It's the 11th race. Carded is the 11th race. And right around 10 after 7 Eastern is post time. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm sure that uh, Fox Sports 1, the America's Day at the Races show, will be showing that race live. Um, I, actually, I shouldn't say for sure, but I, I'm pretty sure that they will be. And, uh, you know, it, it should be a hell of a race. And, and I was against Swiss Skydiver in the Breeders' Cup. I really thought that that long campaign, that shipping all over the country, that, that racing, um, you know, dancing every dance, uh, facing uh, authentic and, and defeating authentic, uh, I thought it was a lot. And Monomoy Girl had had a very measured campaign with the Breeders' Cup obviously being the goal as she hadn't run the prior year. So uh, they took their time a little bit more. They didn't race very much. And uh, and as such, she was on the top of her game on Breeders' Cup Day and, and uh, Swiss Skydiver stumbled, which really cost her all chance. And, um, you know, that, that certainly wasn't representative of, of who she is as a racehorse. And her comeback race at Santa Anita was uh, fantastic. Uh, she beat a, a pretty decent field of Phillies and, and she beat them the way you want to see a horse come back and win. Um, we're going to have her trainer on Ken McPeak at, uh, leading off about three fifteen, And we're going to talk about her. We're going to talk about, uh, what's next for King Fury, who <laughs> suddenly kind of jumped into the Derby fray. Um, last, uh, Saturday winning the Lexington in the slop. And, and he actually looked really good. Uh, he, he was the benefit of a, a, a really fast pace and, um, you know, a, a pretty ordinary group of horses, a lot of untested horses that uh, were being asked to do something for the first time. And that's always a, a tricky uh, equation when you're asking these horses, especially these young, talented horses, to, to leave their uh, comfort zone. It happened in the Arkansas Derby with uh, Concert Tour. And that he had really gotten his own way or gotten things his way, uh, all of his races, all of his races. And when Cotto River seized the lead from him, and, and, and Joe Rosario probably did the right thing by not uh, just you know going wild out there and going a forty-five half when they they might have both backed up, and and they went a, a quick pace with him stalking Cotto River, but. He was taken out of his comfort zone for the first time, and as such, he, he didn't run that a race, and that's part of um, it's part of the process, and it's it's why um, you know good horses sometimes lose because uh, the experience factor is, is something that that just can't be uh, it it can't be um, quantified exactly, but but it, it's important. And it, we've seen it quite a few times during this spring on the Derby Trail where a blowout winner, a really impressive winner, collaborate, uh, prevalence, uh, a couple of Todd Pletchers um, who, who had had just, you know, super impressive maiden wins. Uh, maybe even came back and won an allowance race. Once they were asked to go two turns in the bigger fields against pace pressure and, and, and traffic, it didn't work out so well because... It's a huge jump to go from uh, unraced maiden to uh, small field allowance race to grade one, e- even with a lot of other lightly raced horses. Just the sheer volume of horses, uh, the lack of ability to stay clear, um, those things all matter. And uh, 
And that's that's why I, I think Swiss Skydiver versus Monomoid Girl is is a far more compelling matchup now than it was at the Breeders' Cup because that was that was Swiss Skydiver's tenth race of the year. And let's face it, in the beginning of the year, uh, and and we'll ask Kenny this, like I'm sure he, you know he was hoping that he would have a filly that that could be a. A Breeders' Cup type filly, and he probably thought she had talent. But at no point <laughs> when she was getting beat at Tampa Bay Downs were they thinking, okay, we have to like prep uh, and, and space out all our aces so that we're at our peak on Breeders' Cup day. I mean, that wasn't, you know, that, that unless you had a uh, crystal ball, you couldn't have known that she was going to wind up at that level. And, and she, you know, got better and better and better. So this is a race where they both had a start this year. Um, they both look good and, uh, you know, they should both be on the top of their game. It's a six horse race. It's not a big crowded, uh, field. Um, I think Latrushka's in there and she's got some speed. Uh, I haven't obviously seen the PPs yet, but, um, this should be a, a really great matchup. And, uh, you know, we see it so infrequently these days, uh, where our best horses, Duck and duck and duck and duck and duck. And it's really, you know, kind of refreshing that um, that they're both going to be in there. And, uh, you know, hopefully they can have a, a year-long rivalry and and uh, culminating with, you know, who knows, maybe running in the Breeders' Cup Classic. Because one thing about Swiss Skydiver, the mile and a quarter really shouldn't be an issue for her. And the cults are lacking. Um, they just are, uh, they, they're just not a, a great group. Um, charlatan is a nice horse, but I don't know that he's really a mile and a quarter horse. Snicks go. You could say the same, same thing. Uh, mystic guide is, is a, he's a nice horse, but he beat a really subpar field in Dubai. Um, the happy saver still hasn't, you know, there hasn't been much of a sighting of him, so the, the the top echelon cults are are not as strong as they generally would be and um I mean these two fillies uh, they run fast they run consistent and uh like I said hopefully this is the start of a of a of a nice rivalry that uh that we can maybe see play out a couple times throughout the year and uh finishing up with the Breeders' Cup and hopefully everybody stays sound and comes out of the uh the race uh you know, happy and healthy, and uh, you know, it, it's really, it's really a fun race to 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 really kind of anticipate because uh, you can really make a case. I mean, Monomoy Girl will probably be the favorite, but Swiss Skydiver is three turn and four, and she should be getting better. And Monomoy Girl's not going to get any better than she is. I, I I just horses. I mean, she's older now. She has established who she is. It's clearly the best filly, but Swiss Skydiver. The, the the possibility remains that she does improve. She she is um a, a four year old now and um a lot of horses really don't get get to their peak until their mid four year old, late four year old, early five year old season. Um so, you know, let's let's hope that uh let's hope that we get uh what we're anticipating, which which should be a, a really, really great race. Um it really sometimes 
this business is so frustrating to me. The industry is it's just frustrating because it seems like um, sometimes it's difficult to define who the hell is actually part of the industry. One of the funny things, and there was an article written in a kind of an obscure um, location about racing and its finances, uh, particularly in regard to uh, alternate source of revenue, slot revenues. Um, by a writer who who's actually a good writer who used to be in involved in, in racing and I don't know exactly why but he has turned to basically he's, he's made like a heel turn like you would see in wrestling where he just absolutely hates racing and I mean he just continuously writes bad story after bad story and the funny thing about him is that uh, I mean some of the stories he wrote he wrote about uh, horses in, in Korea that went to slaughter and really uh, it, it was really a stretch to blame um, U.S. racing for what happens in another jurisdiction when these horses are legally bought to go race somewhere else. I mean, you know, there, there's a, a limit to, to our ability to uh, to control um, what happens. But, um, like, this story, there are lots of elements of truth to it. And one of the things, though, and I'm not going to just, you know, rehash it, but one of the things I always thought was interesting is that when we're always t- we're talking about slot money and, and, and the money getting taken away and the politicians calling it taxpayer money and blah, 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 which is always a, a, an interesting to me kind of designation considering that, um, you know, the industry on two sides, the horseman side and the racetrack side, goes into a contract uh, through legislation with the state to, to run a business and at some point, it always gets called, well, that's taxpayers' money. We're giving it to you. Well, it's not really taxpayers' money. It may be in the, the actual definition um, uh, via the state statute. But the fact of the matter is it's a business. We're running a business. We're, piece of, we're part of a business. And we, we get – whenever the money, they come after the money, they always just come after the horseman's money. And I always say, well – the racetracks only have slots in almost every jurisdiction because they were racetracks. Yet, they never go after the racetrack side of the money. And that always kind of baffles me. And of course, the racetracks aren't going to say, hey, take some of ours. But when do the tracks fail to become part of racing? When, when do they say, well, oh, we're not part of racing anymore? Um, when they completely throw us under the bus? I, I don't know. I asked that question because when you cut up a dollar that's bet on a slot machine and the, and the revenue and the profits um, and racing gets, uh, you know, a varying degree of percentage. Uh, New York, I think they're at like 14% and um, some other states, it's probably, I, I believe, as low as 6 or 7%. Um, and there's sliding scales and there's all kinds of, of complicated uh, maneuverings trying to figure out you know what the take is but it's always on the horseman's side why don't the tracks never have to why do the tracks once they become a quote-unquote racino no longer have to like have any responsibility to the horsemen or, or horse racing or the horse racing fans and it's something that kind of and and listen horsemen in general we're, we're just not equipped to do um to deal with the the current business 
model that that we deal with. Horsemen's organizations are just simply not. They're just not. They're not created properly. They're not manned properly. Their their focus isn't proper, um, and and we're we're kind of fodder in some ways. That being said, um, you know, people always blame the horsemen for 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 everything bad. And like, if you, if you're a gambler, you're better, right? The customer, you're a customer of the track side. You don't take bets. We don't take bets to horsemen. You know, we're, we're part of the supply side. And we have a lot more in common than you think. And my question always, and, and of course, um, when you're dealing with legislators, you're dealing with, uh, you know, politicians who are, who are, who are being lobbied, <laughs> which, of course, means, you know, that's, that's who's... Uh, that's whose preferences, uh, you know, get get uh, get seen is is you know the lobbyists, which which side the lobbyists are on, and it's part of our government. It's uh, probably a part of our government that people don't want to admit um, is you know the old saying you don't know how you want to know how the the sausage is made. <laughs> well, you know, when you're dealing with lobbyists and and how, how they have influence, that that would be kind of a a real a real problem and and you know listen we create enough problems of our own in racing um we've we've done our, ourselves no favors in not adapting to modern technology we've done no favors in um circling the wagons around content around uh uh information around signals um it's it's unfathomable to me that las vegas still doesn't have a a a contract with churchill downs i mean how much money can we be talking on this how how can this not be fixed um the same with uh you know arizona hasn't bet with the you know the stronic group tracks and, and and monarch for going on a year and a half and i mean this is this is ludicrous this is crazy and uh, you know, as we fight about pennies, the sports betting monsters are are knocking at the door, and they're not coming with tens of thousands of dollars or, or tens of millions of dollars. They're coming with with billions of dollars. And uh, you know, we've got to uh, we've got to get our, our, our house in order. And um, it's not an easy thing. And uh, essentially. When you ask for sacrifice, the sacrifice has to come from the haves, not the have-nots. And the haves in our business, um, the big racetrack companies, they don't seem to want to sacrifice anything. So, as long as they don't, we're going to uh, we're going to suffer. Um, Kenny, are you here? I'm here. All right. Well, enough talking about the bad stuff. Let's talk about the good stuff. Let's jump right into it. I, I know they drew the race. Uh, Swiss skydiver. Versus Monomoy Girl this Saturday. Um, what, what do you think of the draw? You drew what uh, post two? Yeah, we we expected that we we would be part of the speed of the race anyway. Um, and she's she's run well from an inside draw, and especially in California, she ran well from an inside draw. But you know, it's she is a filly that you just got to get her in rhythm and 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 what I call twelve the first part of it. And if you get her a nice, get her way clean and get her a nice rhythm, 
Um, then, then let her do all the work after that. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a good draw. It's fine. Um, I think Monomar Girl drew outside, and she, she comes from the back anyway, so no worries. Yeah, I was a little concerned that they wouldn't be able to get more than, than uh, three or four in there, and, and, and they got six, which uh, give some credit to Pat Pope. I mean, it is a million-dollar race, and they do pay down the, to, what, fourth or fifth there, so it's not as though they, they won't be running for anything. But, um, uh, you know, it's really great to see, and, and I commend you and, and, and I commend uh, the connections of, of Monomoy Girl for, uh, you know, for not ducking and, and, and actually, you know, taking the challenge up and... and I mean, not only are you you two horses, your you're two fillies, the best two fillies in this country. I mean, arguably, you you two guys are are, are the best two racehorses in this country. Well, I hope you're right. You know, it's going to be exciting. You know, uh, my filly's just so steady and so solid. And the timing of this race is really good, and you know, these things coming together, a lot, a lot has to happen right for, for, them, for them to come together. But um, you know, we're excited, and you know, everybody wants to count this kind of horse in their career. You know that. Fingers crossed, everything continues to go right. Yeah, I, I when I I did the intro to the show, I said, you know, um, I don't think I I really think this is a, a you know, of, of course it, it's a no brainer to say it's a classic, great matchup. I said, but I think you have to discount the Breeders' Cup because when you look at the scenario that we're we're looking at now, we're both of your, you know, your filly and and, and uh, uh, Monomoy girl are both coming into this race fresh. They both you both had a, a prep race, um, and, and you should be on your A game. And that, you know, in the Breeders' Cup, um, you know, your horse that that was her tenth start of the year. She had danced every dance. She had, uh, you know, run all over the country. You, you know, you, you tackled the the you know the best horse in the country supposedly and and, and authentic and uh, and beat her and. And you know it's it's a tough uh, you know stumbling at the start as well. It just made it. Uh, um, I, I just think this is probably a better um, a val you know a, a better chance for your your filly to show her stuff. If you'd seen the back of her ankle and her, she basically her toe grab grabbed the back of her ankle all the way down her X Y Z's. And Chuck, I know you know what X Y Z's are. A lot of people out there don't. Um, and then and then then grabbed her heel at the same time. It, it was pretty gruesome when we got her back to the barn. It was like, whoa! I mean, it's amazing. She even ran as hard as she did with what happened to her. But you know, it's just it's racing. It happens. Um, you know, it's never easy. And um, you know, we licked our wounds and cleaned her up and fixed her up, and no problem. And about ten days later, she was as good as new. But um, it's just unfortunate. So this race, this race is, in some ways, uh, let's hope some redemption. And um, you know, fingers crossed that everything goes right. And it's certainly not going to be easy. No, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, no, it, it's so funny that that sometimes, you know, some of the some of the bigger trainers have so many good horses, and they win so often that it makes it look easy, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, you know, he won this one, he won that one, he won this one, he won that one, or this, you know, Baffert's won this race nine times, and 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 people don't realize how hard it is just to win one race, there's so many things yeah. that can go wrong, and um, yeah, in, w- when you have 250 bullets, it, 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 it obviously, it covers up a lot of the, the misses, but, uh, you know, like you said, uh, the Philly uh, stumbles, she grabs a, you know, 
pulls the skin off of her leg and and you know there you go there's there's nothing you can do about it and and it happens unfortunately more often than uh than it's probably reported i made a tough call this morning on the entry um you know i'm running her no lasix she ran no lasix in california and i thought that it was a really good race and i and she she doesn't need it she runs for another hundred thousand dollars mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. lasix a hundred thousand dollars is, is is a pretty good incentive. Yeah, um, you know, and, and like I said, she doesn't need it, so I just felt like, okay, let's let's just add the ten percent to the purse. So um, I think that I think that'd be an interesting dynamic too. Um, you know, there's no guarantee we'll, we'll get what we want out of that, but but I don't think she needed it, and I think she runs just as well or as good without it. You know, it's interesting because you know I work for the chief and. He was probably the last um, big trainer that wouldn't automatically put horses on Lasix. And in some ways, I remember talking to other trainers at that time. And once everyone started using it all the time, there was pressure to do it. Because if you didn't do it and your horse bled, then you would get blamed. Even if it wasn't your fault, you would get blamed. And, and he was in a position where he didn't really have to listen to anybody. And, uh, you know, the owners he had were, were people he had had for 25 or 35 and 45 years, and they weren't going anywhere. And, you know, he could kind of do what he wanted to do. And and it, it, it's interesting because I'm an advocate for Lasix. I think a lot of our horses need it, especially on the lower levels. Um, and I think that it's difficult from a business standpoint to just eliminate it and say, all right, you know, like if you, if your horse bleeds too much, then we're just going to get rid of you. We're going to take you out of the the population because all of a sudden we're, we're going to be, have a hard time filling two days of racing, let alone three or four or five. But, um, you know, there, there are circumstances and this is, this is a perfect one where your horse has, has raced without it and she's done well without it. And, and, you know, you, you're you're giving um, her a chance to do well without it, and and like they're incentivizing it, so it's not like you're just doing it for free. And um, I just hope that people don't uh, draw too much of a conclusion one way or another, because you know, Kenny, one of the problems we have with the way this whole Lasix thing has been rolled out is that um, all of a sudden we're having horses coming off Lasix, running in stakes, especially older horses. And bleeding badly and finishing way, way up the track. Um, and it's kind of a, uh, it's, it's kind of an uncomfortable situation. You know, understand what I mean? Like, I don't think so. Um, let me give you a different perspective. Can I? Mm-hmm, sure. So, so I, I know you, you remember the years back when I was, I was claiming trainer back in the eighties and nineties and, and um, I had a lot of horses for a guy named Ray Cottrell. Remember Ray at sure, all? Sure, absolutely. Pink Silk, yep. Ray's Ford. Pink, uh, great, great, great guy. But Ray's nickname was Running Ray. And if you claimed a horse for Ray, he wanted it to run back. I mean, it wasn't anything for Ray to demand that this horse ran back in a week. Right. And so what I learned as a young trainer was, is it okay, I had to keep my horses healthy in between races, and I, and, and I typically didn't have a lot of what I call work schedules. Um, we were more interested in that the horse was in the feed tub and that they were healthy and that they were happy and they were sound and 
you know, you did those kind of horses didn't train very hard. You might jog them, you might pony them, you might um, shoot, you might walk them a bit. But um, Ray liked to run so much. And when we would claim, what I learned was is that the old trick, one of the first things we would do is grab the horse's neck, pinch the neck, and see how quickly the skin bounced back. And what I found was is a lot of horses were severely dehydrated. And um, we had this one horse that I claimed, a uh, horse named Crafty Cash that I claimed at Oaklawn, and the horse had been, he'd been running pretty steady for an old timer down there, and the horse was so badly dehydrated that we just needed to replenish his fluids. So we started racing horses on what I'd call a pinch of Lasix, because the rules on and off, you know, they're, they're, they're tricky because you can't take a horse can't put a horse on and take it off. And we would give a horse a, a, a half cc or a half milliliter instead of 10, where a lot of people were treating with too much. And the horses were winning. I mean, we, we they ran better without it, okay? Mm-hmm. And I know that's an argument that a lot of people don't want to hear today, but I found that the horses could run more often, and they would actually run better without the Lasix. And they would replenish their fluids quicker because the Lasix takes so much water weight off of a horse. And I'm going to tell you that I believe that Lasix is a detriment to the sport. I know that there are horses, and I've had one recently that I that I've had to retire because of Lasix. I, you know, and, and or I could have used it, but I also think that there's a there's a side of it that that horse might need rest, and rest might resolve the problem or it might not I, I don't know if you could say that a full full bore bleeder is you know any different than a horse that bowed a tendon or broke a cannon bone or a sesamoid had to be retired but i don't think the, the numbers are so large that it justifies you know all great all, i think all graded races are no-brainer they should be no laces I mean, I firmly believe that, that it should be a dual system, really. But the, the good horses can run without it. And, yeah, there are going to be horses that do believe, but it is, it's a tough one. It's hard to understand why we can't have a system in the United States that, that isn't at least parallel to what they do internationally. So it's a tough one. No, I get it. And, and a lot of what you say is, is completely valid. And um, the one issue that, of course is difficult when you're talking about uh, racing in a, in a global fashion is just the number of layers that we have here. Uh, j- just the Gulfstream Park itself, you know, you go from a completely different crowd um, in January and February to, to you know, June and July. So it, it, it's just um, not only in, uh, you know, quality of horse, but also in the ability to do things um, the ability to treat horses, the ability to, to give them time, it becomes difficult the, the further down the f- totem pole you get. Obviously, those guys don't have, you, you know, it's hard to justify if you have a $7,500 horse spending, uh, you know, $1,000 in hyperbaric treatments between races because, you know, the horse might bleed a little bit and now we can't use Lasix. So, um it's like you said, it's a complicated issue, and I wish that 
uh, I, I certainly could live with graded stakes not racing on Lasix. Absolutely, not you know, no issue at all with that. Um, the problem again is that you can't really phase it out, and, that, and that's the thing that I've been been kind of harping on for two years now. I said, how do you phase something out if you don't allow three year olds to use it? Say, say, all right, this crop, um, two year olds can't use it, and they can't use it at three. Well, what do you do when they race against four year olds? You say, well, I think, you know, think two year olds definitely shouldn't be running on it, and if they if they have it, certainly by the middle of the three year old year. I think you could make limits on three-year-olds, but then beyond that, it should just be graded stakes. And it is, um, but the problem is that you've got these multi-jurisdictions, and they're all they're all with different ideas and different rules. And there we go back to, you know, do we need national rules? I do think we do need national rules. Well, well we we have a national rule in regards to Lasix. Now we have a law, and it's basically not allowed. Um, you know, once this. Uh, this panel gets set up for the HISA law and they institute their, um, you know, they, they put the guidelines out there because the law does state, I mean, it's a very nebulous law that doesn't really have much exactness to it, but it does say that no race day medication is allowed. <laughs> so, I mean, and that's that, you know, two weeks ago we were having debates and people were, you know, going crazy about it. And, and I was saying to a couple of horsemen, like, guys, where have you been? So we've been arguing this for a couple of years now. Like this is part of the problem with horsemen in, in general um, is that a lot of times we're so busy with our own businesses and, and, and we're so busy with all the other stuff that, that we don't you know really pay attention as much as we have to do. I said, there's a law passed. Like there's going to be no Lasix at some point and it's just going to be, okay, there's no more Lasix. And, and that's just you know the reality of the situation. That that's where we're at, and uh, I, I don't even know why they're doing these studies. I just don't even know why they're doing them. And and it seems like uh, you know the the that that ship has has left the port. You know, so like I, I'm saying, oh, if you do a study and you find out, all right, ninety four horse percent of the horses bleed. Well, what are you going to do now? You already passed the federal law. What are you going to unchain? You know, passing okay, so the law the is reason, tough. Here, here's the reason why they're doing it, though. The reason why they're doing it is they're all looking for excuses. The why? Why? Why is it that the sport's in a negative spiral? Why is it that there are fan bases diminished? Why is it that that the foal crop's getting smaller? They're all looking for a reason, right? And I'm going to tell you what the reason is. And it's not that they're barking up the wrong tree. They they all want to say, oh, it's because we've got drugs in the sport. Oh, it's because we have breakdowns in the sport. Oh, it's because we have uh, bad publicity and bad perception. Um, and our fan base is getting older. No. The reason why the sport's shrinking is because it's a media rights issue. And it's something when you sent me a note about being on the, on the show, uh, yeah, I want to talk about it. Because it's a media rights issue. It's so hard to watch a horse race. I'm going to use a quick analogy that I hope everybody can understand. Imagine if I'm 17 years old, and gosh, I wish I was, um, and Chuck was 21. And we're two kids, and we're out running around, and we're going, hey, let's watch a horse race. So I said, well, let's watch it on my phone. And so I open my phone, and I'm like, okay, let's let's watch, um, let's just pick a track. Let's watch Gulfstream. Well, to watch Gulfstream, I've got to have an ADW on my phone. Well, I'm not old enough that at 17, I can't open an ADW because I'm not the, the right age, Okay. 
So, hey, Chuck, let's use your phone because I'm not old enough. So we use your phone, and, and Chuck, do you have a credit card? We've got to have a credit card open in ADW. And God forbid if we're in Georgia or North Carolina or Texas or, or the list of states that don't allow ADW, you can't watch it there. So here we are, two kids who really want to follow the sport, but we're not able to because we can't jump through these silly hoops that they've put in place because they don't want to let you watch unless you open an account. Hey, let's force you to open an account so you can watch. And then then let's say, okay, well, let's go to your house and let's watch it on cable TV. Well, we go to your house and, well, your family doesn't have cable, but they've got satellite. And so they've got satellite TV. You know what percentage of Americans have satellite TV, 10%. So out of 350 million people, we have eliminated 90% of the households because only 10% have satellite TV to watch TVG, okay? So then you got TVG, and let's say, okay, we got satellite in my house, but my parents didn't subscribe to TVG because they had to pay extra. All right. So now we're like, you know what we're doing now? We're finding something else to watch. Okay. And so we wonder why our sport's shrinking. And so here we have two kids, and they're out there. These kids are out there. And they want to watch horse racing. But we've, we've placed in front of them so many blocks that they're not watching and they're not following, and they don't care. And so now here we are, a sport that's shrinking, saying, what do we do? Oh, what do we do? Oh, it must be breakdowns. Oh, it must be drugs. It must be this. It must be that. B.S. It's ourselves. We've aimed at foot, pulled trigger, and successfully shot ourselves. No. And we do it every day. You, you, uh, um, you're, you're so right. And, and uh, it's, the barriers to entry are, are getting greater instead of getting smaller. And, uh, you know, I, I think, I, I don't know if a lot of people know that, um, I mean, I mean, it seems like it's pretty well known that you started an app, uh, Horse Racing Now, and for a while, uh, you were kind of the go-to place to get replays. And, and uh, you want to talk a little bit about, about, you know, getting the app started and, and what, you know, your goal was and, and the difficulties that you've had, um, which seems kind of crazy, and it's a free app, and, and, and you would think that everyone would want their content to, to be as, as widespread as possible, but uh, that seems like it's been the opposite in your case. So you, so you, you, you heard my passion, the passion of my voice when I told that analogy. So I put my money where my mouth was because I've felt this way for three and a half decades that I've never understood the dynamic of why and I always ask racing executives, why? Why do we, why do, we do it this way? And they don't, none of them have a good answer, typically. And so I said, okay. I watched the ESPN Score Center app, and a lot of people have the ESPN Score Center app, which is an easy sports app to follow, whether you're baseball or basketball or hockey or whatever sport you follow. So you go on the ESPN Score Center app, what's the only sport that's not listed? horse racing so i said somebody needs to build a horse racing app and i invested my own money from the beginning on this and in a significant number and i said okay 
we're going to create something that's similar to the ESPN Score Center after horse racing fans. We're going to attach video. I mean, we we basically have figured out the, what I call the Rubik's Cube of tying it all together. Cost a lot of money to do it. And um, then we realized that the first month of launch, we got 10,000 users, which I thought was amazing. Mm-hmm. And then... Over a course of a couple of years, we were averaging about 8,000 new people a month. Today, we still average about 5,000 new people a month. But they pulled, they pulled, they don't want our video out for free because they don't, they want people to have to go to the ADWs. So the, the big tracks won't give us any content. And then the little tracks have, have made us purchase the content from a company that, streams it and of course then they want to charge us to, to i mean significant money and the truth is we still um, owe, we owe them money today that we've been unable to pay it basically just drove us into the ground and we we couldn't pay it and um it, it's um once again an industry that aimed its foot and pulled trigger i mean here we have a product i've i've gone to the point of trying to give the thing to horse, it's actually called horse races now. And for those out there that have Androids and iPhones, we, we're out there on the app stores or Google Play stores. But I've tried to give the product to the industry big dogs and said, look, we figured out how to grow it. You take it and you amplify it, market it, and we can actually grow this thing. And they say, well, we've got our own. We don't need you. So we've We've reverted it to a um, to an advertising based app, which frustrates me because I know people hate the ads. But, it, but we don't have any choice because we were bankrupt, right. and um, we're fighting off being bankrupt. But we're keeping our head above water by you know ads and subscriptions. And thank you to everybody else, to everybody out there that subscribes because it's a big deal. It really it's keeping us going. We, the notion that we're getting rich off horse races now is absolutely ludicrous. It has not been that way at all. It's been everything negative, negative, negative to the tune of about $5 million. But you know what? It's good for the sport, and I do believe that if we stick to it, eventually we'll break through. Right. It's There was a guy... Oh, he's still, he's still out there. there. There's there's an app called Twitch now, and Twitch is used by the kids to play video games because video games now are like massive. They're not like when we were kids and then they had you know Pong and those kind of things. Video games are are a billion dollar business, and they actually go on these this this Twitch and they live stream them playing video games and other people watch them. I mean, it's kind of crazy, but. A guy, uh, kind of a innovative, you know, thinking guy. He's um, uh, he bets trotters. Trotters are his game for the most part. And he said to himself, "What I could do is I could go on Twitch. I could stream a race. We could put the handicapping information up there, and literally teach people what we're doing, how our play, you know, how we're we're um, handicapping, uh, how, how we're betting, our betting strategy." 
And, you know, there, there can be, um, you know, people would sign up or just watch it. Uh, you just join and you can interact with, with, you know, the person that's kind of running it. Essentially, um, uh, kind of a school for handicapping, right? Now, he's doing this entirely on his own volition. He's not making any money off of it. It's, it's not, you know, it's not like it's a subscription or, or anything. He's, there's no sponsorship. There's nothing promoted. There's nothing being sold except the game. He gets a cease and desist from Roberts. A, he, he calls them up and he said, well, I talked to the track and they said, you know, they didn't have a problem with us doing this for a couple races a night. And, you know, it's, it's, it's good uh, educational process so that people can, you know, learn how to, uh, you know, how, how guys who are, are winning players, uh, what they look for and, and how they structure their bets and things like that that aren't found on most of the traditional, uh, you know, pre race shows where mostly it's just people, you know, commenting on how the horse looks and, and making picks, uh, you know, it's, it's a little more in-depth explanation of, of, uh, the wagering aspect, which is something that, that we really miss. And he well, gets, goes he, he gets, Kenny, he get he gets in, in, so in, in, the track in given this away. Yeah, well, the track They've said they have no problem. Rush. Roberts comes in and and gets in a debate with the guy, and the guy's like, "Dude, I'm not making any money off this. I'm just trying to help grow the game, which helps everybody." Roberts threatens to bring him to federal court. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, and and the guy went public with it. You know, he put it on on tw- on uh, Twitter, and everyone says, "You know, th- this is how innovate people are innovative in this business get treated." Like, and and, and one of the guys, uh, you know, the head guy at, at Roberts. Um, you know his comment, and I'm I'm saying this because it's it it was you know made public information, was that they were, they feared that illegal bookmakers were, would be watching the stream, and I'm thinking to myself, an illegal bookmaker can get a hundred bucks and open up a Twinspires account and, and watch all the content he wants, you know, like yeah. like seriously, like that's the 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 that is the the thing we're worried about illegal bookmakers, like come on, man, I mean, like what needs to oof. happen is is that the tracks the, the tracks are giving away their media rights. Horsemen's groups are, are, are approving that, and horsemen's groups should not approve it. And the media, it'd be like the Major League Baseball players saying, oh, don't worry about our media rights. You won't go ahead and make whatever you can off of it. Well, the, the, the industry hasn't done anything about this. And I do think it's really seriously, it's nothing but a media rights issue, the reason the sports had a hard time. And how do you fix it? You know, look, I mean, the work Roberts has done has been, for the most part, they've got good systems. They've got a team that's there. It's just that, that maybe the distribution of it needs to change. And, you know, look, change is tough for everybody. Um, there's other ways to stream anything. There's other companies that are moving into that area. Um, a lot of this is on YouTube now. Um, what, I, what my dream is is that someone could sit down and say, okay, I want to watch um, – Kenny McPeak's horses that run on the turf that um, go a mile and a half and are ridden by Kent DeSormo, and then it sources those races, and then you can click and watch, and I want to share this with Chuck Simon. Mm-hmm. And I want to post it on Facebook or Twitter and say, look what this ride. Or a race ran yesterday, and I want to share and I want it. I could share it with all my friends. Because that's how you viralize the sport, is sending all that out there. And, and it, it'd be a natural progression, but you can't even access it to send it. 
And until tracks say, okay, we want our content to be as free-flowing and easy, um, then, then nothing's going to happen. And um, you, can't, you can't keep the 17-year-old and the 21-year-old in the dark and expect them to come into the light and watch your sport. And they're, not, they're only going to fight so hard. And um, I don't know, I'm really passionate about it. I love winning races, but uh, winning big races is awesome. But until we fix this other issue, you know, you know I'm going to look at the end of my career and go, gosh, I wish I could have done more to help. And I'm trying. I really am. Uh, you know what? I, I'll give you a lot of credit because, you, like you said, you put your own money in to the app and you were trying to do something that would be beneficial to everyone and, and you know, to just run into roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. And it, and it wasn't just particular you it's it's um i mean I'll, I'll say this i have no problem saying this i've said this before our our national database stinks web the, the equibase site is is a bad site it, it, it's got a million pop-ups it, it's down all the time i mean how, how is it possible that we only have information going back to 1992 <laughs> you know like <laughs> i'm gonna defend them um, i'm gonna defend them okay so when they when they serve up the the information to a company like ours, they're actually fair with the pricing. Um, they they work hard to try to make sure it's correct. Um, you know, back in the nineties, eighties, and nineties, um, a lot of the charts, um, those those charts. I mean, I can remember going to Kena Library and seeing charts back in the twenties and thirties and forties. Um, so the, those charts are they haven't been meta tagged. And to do that takes a lot. I mean, and, and even you can tag a data element on a race, and, and so it delivers or it follows the chart that the that it's attached to. But they, they didn't start doing that until probably the 90s. And I think they're doing a pretty good job, Chuck. I, I defend them. I mean, it's a lot of information in a lot of different racetracks. The truth is it needs to be done worldwide where it's in one database. But, like, you go to Brazil or you go to Australia or Europe, their, their systems are completely different everywhere. And that goes, therein goes another problem with our, with our sport. We probably ought to pull a lot of that together. But the pedigrees are at least there. And, of course, we know how far back that goes. Sure. I don't know. Give, give them a break. I, actually, dealing with them has been nothing but a good thing. They've worked really hard to try to do everything right for us. And, and you know, they, yeah, they send but, a bill but, every month. Let me, let me ask not, you a question, though. Aren't they supposed to work hard to do, to do the right thing? I mean, isn't that – they are the, 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 the data holder of, of all our sport. And without data, it's very hard to innovate. It's very hard to come up with um, – any type of uh, you know movement, and, and that's that's one of the things. That, and I've I've heard that complaint from quite a few They're people who have come into this business, and they've they you know smart people, really really smart people. And they're frustrated because they said there's such a bear, it costs so much money for them to try to to try hypotheses to to, to just to to get something rolling, and and it's it's just to me it's it's one of the things like. Like we just seem like we're we're backwards a little bit. Um, think about this, and I don't know if you know anything about uh, you know have have you heard any about uh, about this what's going to happen? But the Breeders' Cup is exclusively on NBC, and as a such, 
90% of the Breeders' Cup races themselves are on uh, NBC Sports Channel. And, of course, the, the big race is, is on uh, the big network. Well, NBC Sports Channel is going to, it's going bye-bye. It's, they're, they're getting rid of it. And they've gone to a streaming service, NBC, called Peacock. And I don't know, I haven't heard a word about it, but it would be kind of, um, I, I just feel like we're, we were a little bit unprepared for that. And for our, our championship races to no longer have a, a home, home on television, um, because we do have, a, I mean, listen, we all want to attract the younger people and the younger people are, are cutting the cord. The younger people are not buying cable. Like you said, they're not getting satellite dishes, but a, a huge portion of our existing base is older people. And they had a hard time finding NBC sports channel. And now if you're going to tell them, well, the whole day Friday and, and most of the card on Saturday is going to be streamed. Man, it's like, I, I, I just don't know Like, if, if we were prepared, if, if well, people realize what's going to happen there. Go back to Equibase. If you go back, Equibase, they're doing the data, and the, and the data is a lot of work. But I've spoken to them over the years and said, take over the video. Do, do make that the hub for everything. And, and they're, they, they've, they've talked about it. Um, and but they've never pulled the trigger on it, and to me that would be a, a, a central location and an ideal location. And they do have the talent there, and they have the team to do something like that. But you know that's bigger powers than me and you on the phone or in the, the shows they're talking about. Somebody else has got to decide all that. And tracks need to say, okay, you know the, the TRA, Thoroughbred Racetracks of America, they're the ones that run. Basically, they run Equibase. That's their their entity, and the Jockey Club, of course. And you could say, okay, they as a group should say, okay, now from now on, all our videos going through Equibase or the Jockey Club hub, and then you solve the whole problem. And it, then it wouldn't matter whether it's streamed on NBC, ABC, CBS, ESPN, or whatever. Then it would be. You know, then it would be accessible for for the young people that really truly do want to watch it, or or it would be accessible for the companies that wanted also wanted to stream it out. But people are so or the entities are so proprietary that you know it's their territory. Oh, Churchill Downs doesn't want certain ADWs to watch, and then they sell the video and the content or the betting. It's a big big business. I mean, and it's really got deep roots and it's really um to dig them up it needs to be done though it so needs, needs it to needs to be done up. because there, there's the whole sport there's there's a big monster that's it's knocking on the door and it's called sports betting and it's going to destroy us if, if we don't uh, have the proper way of of dealing with it because i agree casino players are, are not typical horse players but sports betting players are and I think a lot of people in our business are uh, have a pie in the sky attitude that we're going to uh, convert sports players into um, horse players. And I, I just cringe and I said, "Listen, it's we, we might you know that might happen. Maybe we'll get five percent of those people or three percent, 
but we might lose 20% getting those 2 or 3%. And, uh, I mean, Churchill came out with kind of an interesting strategy yesterday concerning their, their sports book, um, you know, possibilities in that they are going to try to use their leverage with the Kentucky Derby to uh, get a, a um, and I don't have all the terminology down, uh, but but they're going to try to have a, a it's called one wallet, meaning that you would be able to bet horses. Uh, it would be kind of a twin spires, except it would also have uh, sports betting on it as well. Uh, and they would be a bit player in the sports market. I mean, the sports betting market, the the big players, the the fan duels and and uh, uh, DraftKings. I mean, I read somewhere where the acquisition price for a customer by FanDuel was like like eight hundred dollars a person. It was like something nuts. And and someone said, "Well, what do, what do you think racing spends an acquisition price for a customer?" I said, "Like like two cents, like literally like two cents." How, how and, and doing a call me. I've got three hundred and ten thousand people that use horse races now. Yeah, I mean, listen, honestly, you, you should you should call them market. because it, those guys are spending money like drunk sailors because they want. They're all desperate to get market share because everyone knows sports betting is going to be a giant business. It's a massive business. They did more. There was six states last year in in a uh, at a pandemic. Six states had legalized betting, sports betting in this country, and for a big chunk of the year, there was no nothing to bet on, and well, they did as much handle as we did last year in horse racing. Six states, and one of them was like Colorado and Connecticut. I mean, this wasn't like Texas, California, Florida, and New York. It, it was, you know, kind of uh, New Jersey was the, by by far the biggest. So the handle is going to be massive, and um, you know, with the idea about having a single wallet is that. A player can um, put his money into an account and he can bet either. Whereas if you can't do that and you can't transfer funds uh, from one to the other, it just, like you were saying earlier, how difficult it is to just watch a race, it, it would make the steps more difficult to get a guy who, who might want to bet races and sports. Um, to have one account is so much easier than to have two accounts. The ones that are ahead of the curve is Betfair, otherwise known as FanDuel and TVG, because it's one entity. They're ahead of the curve on a lot of this, um, certainly in New Jersey and the states that are opening. Church- Churchill is, is systematically building you know, a sports book through, the, through their Twin Spires app. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm watching in the middle of a lot of this. Um, the, um, I'm sure Naira at some point will, will jump in there. Well, Naira, Naira did a deal with Fox Sports, and Fox Sports is um, Mulhoville. Uh, he's in charge of, of Fox Sports, and he has publicly stated a couple of years ago, I think even at the Jockey Club Roundtable, that they wanted to get into sports betting. That That's what Fox Sports, they could see the handwriting on the wall, and they wanted in. And they, I believe, you know, have cut this deal with Naira. I mean, they've been doing the, you know, the Fox Sports One uh, America's Day at the Races shows. They bought 25% of Naira bets. And there's a lot of confusion in New York as to what actually just happened uh, with the sports betting law. Because the governor kind of jammed through something that no one else liked. Um, But he used up all his political power and, and he got it done. And it's very, very confusing to even know um, 
who is going to be a player there. It, it's very, very confusing. And the Indians are involved there, and they were supposedly given a deal a couple of years ago, so there, there's going to be lawsuits and all kinds of nut, nut, nutty stuff. But, you know, so so Naira bets is, you know, Naira's trying to get in as a partner with Fox. And, you know, it, it's, it's one of those so things, if we don't get in, we're going to get left behind. So here's the thing. For the entities that have horse racing, ADW or advanced deposit wagering, those entities have have inroads already to be able to have products that ha- can can service not only sports wagering but also horse racing. If the entities that don't have brick and mortar racetracks or ADWs attached to racetracks, I mean we we know the big ones is Twin Spires, Express Bet, Naira Bets, Penn Gaming. Uh, those are positioned well. Um, but ADWs or, you know, any ADW that doesn't have, um, access to all the content is dead. And, and then look, it's, it's classic antitrust in my opinion, because what track these big tracks are doing, they're blocking ADWs from getting content or they're pricing them. It's a negative, it's a negative business deal if they take the content because the rates are so high that they can't make any money on, on a wager, and so thus it's not even worth doing business. So they've shut out a lot of little guys because sport, well, the Horse Racing Act of 78 protects track-to-track movement of simulcast signals, but the Horse Racing Act of 78 didn't include, the language did not include advanced deposit wagering companies because they didn't exist when they right. wrote it. right. And it needs to be analyzed so that so that access to those wagers could grow. And another, you know, the sport hasn't addressed this issue, and and and, and nothing's going to change. The bigger going to get bigger, and the smaller going to get smaller. And and then there's going to be you know tracks that go out of business, there's trainers that go out of business, and jockeys that don't have any horses to ride. When I started training, and you started training. There were 53,000 foals a year, yeah. mm-hmm. all right? Sure. Today, we're getting ready to go into 15,000. Yeah. It's so, it, it, you know what? We're in trouble. You know what's funny, Kenny, is that every once in a while, uh, you, you get on these conversations, um, in social media especially, and, and people are like, ah, the game's, uh, <laughs> we have too many tracks running. <laughs> and and, uh, and you say, listen, man. The game's been contracting for like twenty five years. <laughs> like it, it hasn't really worked, <laughs> but um, you know, it, it's just uh, it sounds good. But I said, you know, the difference between now and twenty years ago was twenty years ago when you went to the racetrack, you you bet the horses at your track. That was it. That, that, you know, that was all you saw. Now you go to the track and there there's you know eighteen different tracks shown, and you know just the availability of information has exploded so so large that you know. Guys who aren't old like us, they forget that it wasn't that long ago that you would go to the races at your track, your hometown track, and that's the nine or ten races you saw, and that was it. There wasn't any other, um, you know, you didn't see anybody else. That's how I started, going to Keeneland. It was nine races a day. Yep. Ran from one to five o'clock every 30 minutes. And, um, you know, it was a local event. I'm going to give you an, an analogy, or another analogy that I think is this real core of what's wrong with the sport you're a baseball fan i know you're a baseball Mm -hmm. fan aren't you chuck yes i am 
Okay, so look. And I hate this season, this new extra inning rule that's starting a well, guy in second base. I mean, what is this, Little League? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But but so so if have you ever watched Ken Burns, The History of yes. Baseball? Oh, yeah, great, great documentary. Okay, so, so as a documentary, it's a really great documentary. And for those that out there that haven't watched it, if you go back to the 1920s and early 30s, there's a section in the Ken Burns series about baseball that that to me hit real home. So, so what happens? We have the depression in the late 20s, and in the early 30s, you know, people are struggling. There's soup lines. Uh, you know, America's not in a very good spot. The Negro leagues at the time were outdrawing the national leagues or major leagues. The Negro Leagues were averaging about 5,000 fans a game, and the Major Leagues, or the, the, the original franchises, were averaging around 4,000 fans. So the owner of the Cincinnati Reds and uh, his, his GM, a guy named McPhail, go to the winter meetings in Tampa, and all this is documented, that they're going to go to, they're going to, they announce to the franchise they're going to pay WLW radio to play the Cincinnati Redlegs on the radio station in the Cincinnati market area live. And so the league franchise owners, they, they, they absolutely reprimand him. They say that they threaten that if he does this, that he's going to kill baseball and they're going to take his franchise away. And his, his response was, well, fine, because I'm not selling any tickets or hot dogs and this team's costing me money. And we had the Black Sox scandal in baseball back then where the bookies were paying the players more money than they were making on their contracts. And so the, 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 I mean, the sport was in a horrible spot. Well, he, he decides to put it on anyway. He says, I'm going to do it. So he pays WLW. Within two or three seasons, he quadrupled attendance. What happened was he opened it in his market area, going back to your point that, you know, local tracks, he opens it in his market area. They have to build another stadium. There's such demand. And baseball and the rest of the owners, eyes finally wide open, said, oh, that's a pretty good idea. Well, you know, that's the kind of way I feel about horse races now. I'm trying to do something, and I'm the Reds' owner, and they're telling me I'm an idiot, and I'm killing their sport. Nonsense. We're opening it. We're growing it. And if you'll follow us, we'll show you, you know, where the yellow brick road is here. But they don't. They're, they're so stuck in their traditions, and they're, they don't want to change. And you know how many racetracks are in North America? 500. But only 188 can afford to stream the video. All right, and so there's another 300 plus that people can't even watch, right. but they still run race meets. Steeplechase racing is really in a in a. They need to be able to stream their races. Sure. They need to be able to stream them and allow people to bet on them. Um, but they they still kind of scratching their head. What do we do? What do we do? Uh, we keep saying if you'll provide a stream. Will provide a vehicle for people to watch anywhere. Um, that's just one example of many. Um, I'm passionate about it, man. It drives me crazy, like it does you. I mean, you want to, you want to scream and just like get it together. And um, the sport's great. It's just disorganized and it's messy.
There's there's so much red tape. It's just uh, frustrating. Before you go, Kenny, I, I'll get. Uh, I, I have someone that'll shoot me if I don't ask this question. Um, what about King Fury, man? What are you going to do? Well, if he can get in the Derby, we'll run him. Um, you know, this is a really good horse. I, I made a mistake with him last year. I should not have run him in the Breeders' Cup. I got a little ambitious, and I thought we were at home, we had to travel, and um, I think I look, took a little steam out of him. Nothing went right that day, and then. He didn't run well. He ran okay in the Kentucky Jockey Club, but this comeback race with the with rest and he's look. If, if he can get a mile and a quarter, if he can get in the race, he'll get a mile and a quarter. Right. Exactly. And, um, I, I have no doubt that he'll run big and and he'll represent himself well. But if he doesn't draw in, I mean, the decision's out of my hands. So I'm not going to worry about it too much. Mm-hmm. Um, if he will enter, and if he doesn't get in, he doesn't get in, and we'll go to the Preakness. Right. And, no. Um, I won that one last year, so what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. It, it, it's it's amazing to think it really wasn't that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, yeah, it'll be the closest in between two previous ever. So, yeah, no, anyway. no doubt. No, but I, I thought he, I was really impressed. He ran really well, and uh, um, I mean, this year, listen, if you're going to take a shot, this is the year to take a shot because it seems like every two weeks we have a, a, a new set of, 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 uh, of, uh, leaders in the clubhouse, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's kind of a, a crazy year and, uh, there's some bears you in the know? derby though. You know? Um, the, the, the bluegrass is, um, is a grade one race and should be reinstituted as a grade one race. And the first two finishes will be in the, um, in the picture. And I think Todd's horse the one at Flor in Florida. No one agenda. Really no, too. there's a lot of good horses, but you know what though? There's 20 of them, and and there's a lot of speed. And I mean, I, I think it's kind of folly for people to try to handicap the race before you get post positions in a 20 horse race because you know if you're a speed horse and you draw post one, sorry, you know. Yeah. But um, you know, like it, it's just been so wide open that that uh, there, there's just been you know essential quality of course has been kind of the consistent horse, but he you know he's run twice so. Uh, you know, any, really anything horse, anything man. can happen in, in, a, in a twenty horse race, and uh, you know, yeah. you got to be in it to I win think it. He's run at Churchill. Is that horse? He hasn't run at Churchill, has he? Uh, essential quality. Yeah. Um. Actually, he has, yes, he broke his maiden at Churchill, going three quarters. Uh huh. So he has run that would there. Be the question, he, you know, he, you some know, horses don't like Churchill. You know what the interesting I thing about that horse is? For Baffert too, I think Bob's unless he pulls a rabbit out of his head. I think it's not, not but he's had so many great years. You know, I, I look at essential quality sometimes and I, I went back, I looked at all his races and he's a good horse and, and part of I think his his um, quality is that he, he seems to be able to adapt to different scenarios, pace scenarios. He's got some tactical speed, but he'll pass horses as well. The one thing that, that nags me about him is that he's very fortunate. All his races, everything seems to work out. He never has a, a straw in his path, and it, it always seems to work for him. And and part of that is his own ability, his own you know a handiness to be able to, like I said, adapt to different the different situations. But I, and I think he's a really good horse. I just don't think he's head and shoulders better than everyone else. And um, I, I just think it, you know I I just think anybody can almost win this year because there's a lot of good horses that that um have have had a little bit of misfortune um you know you know so yeah you know who knows he's it, beatable. it's it's a it's, he's a, it's a crazy beatable. it's a crazy open um, race i mean you really can look at yeah. you know make a lot of cases and and like every single contender really has 
a flaw. It's not like you can say, well, this horse doesn't have this, this horse doesn't have that, like like every race almost. But uh, it just seems like this year uh, he's the only horse that um, has been consistent uh, this year because it's just been a, such an up and down year. And, and, you know, I mean, listen, we're getting 25 to one shots, 50 to one shots, 60 to one shots winning all these derby preps. I don't remember a season where we had so many long shots winning so many different races. That's what makes it fun. Yep. Well, I hope I get in. Hey, Kenny, listen, I appreciate your time, and I, I do appreciate your candor, and uh, and we'll talk. And, um, you know, if you get in, good luck, and uh, if you don't, good luck in the in, in the other one. And, and Saturday, right, listen, man, we'll, we'll be rooting for you. I appreciate you letting me lay it, out, lay it on the line. I, I, I tend to be a little bit firm in my in my beliefs, and, and it is. It's, uh, it comes from the heart, and we really, we really have a lot of things to fix in the sport, and I'm going to keep sticking it sticking my nose in the middle of them to try to help well listen do it do the best you can and if i, I can help you in any way you know i'm not afraid to tell people what i think <laughs> so um good luck saturday man it's gonna hopefully the hell of a race and uh everybody comes out of it well yeah she ships down tomorrow and um looking for I, I, i'm running her no lasik so yeah <laughs> it'd be interesting <laughs> uh don't worry she 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 shows up every time so good luck and uh again thanks for thanks for coming on all right, take care. All right, that was Ken McPeak. We're going to uh, get a quick break here, and we'll be back with a Harlan Malter. Why, in the past decade, has BRL Equine become the premier equine supplement company in the industry? Because we spend millions in research and development before we ever put out a product. Because we use only FDA-supervised facilities to manufacture for us. Because what we say is in them is in them. Because they work. Because if you're not happy, I'll give you your money back. And because top trainers and veterinarians in thoroughbred racing, standard bread racing, three-day eventing, and barrel racing all trust in BRL Equine. Shouldn't you? To find out more how Flexify HA, Unlock, Bleeder Shield, and EPO Equine can help you, contact me, Joseph Volante, 215-501-6880. This is the Going in Circles podcast.